This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. Comrade Carl. <laughs> Privyet, comrade Chris. Uh, yes, American Durak. Git hack, big hack. Carl pulling. Big. The Soviet states rise again. Big hack. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalist <laughs> American. <Bashoi> hack. <laughs> Capitalist American pig dog suka. Carl pulling under full control of Soviet. Yes. Wow. I just yeah. got the Star Spangled Banner cry. I, uh, an eagle just flew into my window and broke its neck. It was the saddest oh, thing I've no. ever seen. Um, oh, no. God bless America, or at least what we used to call America, which is now the technocratic states of, uh, of Russian-Soviet control. Hunter... What do you do yeah. when the Russians hack into your nuclear missile armament stockpile management programs? I mean, should we should we give up now or what's no. the plan? No, I mean, look, if if the game is Armageddon, I mean, you just got to accept it at that point, right? If everybody's going down, take them with you mexico we know you don't you aren't in this fight but we're taking you with us you canada know, <laughs> nobody wants you canada you're not even worth sending a nuke to yeah exactly uh, i mean maybe we'd blow up greenland you know because yeah. really well, that there, name i mean like there's some places where if we sent them a nuke it would probably the the you know enriched uranium left behind from the explosion would rain raise their gdp um, yeah, that's true. So in a way, it might be thoughtful. Obviously, we're joking. But, you know, it's funny because this whole, like, nuclear holocaust thing was kind of a joke uh, about, like, what's the final chapter of 2020 going to be? And then the Russians act ah! pretty much every major government agency in America. Yeah. Um, what What's to even say about that other than uh, whoopsie? And I guess we're going to be paying Whoops. for this for a long time. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Um, ah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing good about it. But the question, too, is, like, we haven't learned everything about it. Um, I'm actually very surprised that we know about as much about it as we do. Mm -hmm. Like, typically, maybe the Internet is just breaking, like, my love of espionage and the CIA Cold War, like, <laughs> deal. Because, like, we're not supposed to know this, right? We're supposed to have our memories erased and forget that Russia ever existed or something like that when crap like this happens. But apparently, you know, that's not true. And whenever someone gets hacked, we just learned about it day one. So right. I'm also just curious how much of this is real, quite honestly. And not in that we're being lied to so that Russia thinks it hacked us, but you get my point. Oh, maybe like, we'll never know. I will say this, that... Whatever's playing out right now is far more boring than Red Dawn because more than like I and I love recording this podcast, so but I would really love 
just having a stockpile of ammunition and hanging out with you in the woods, cooking squirrels over an open fire and, and trying eating, you know, taking pot shots at Soviet paratroopers. That'd be way more fun than like, <laughs> we did a computer trick. <laughs> we did a trick with computer. Yeah. You know, what's great about Red Dawn is they definitely eat a deer heart in that. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, that's like, right. It's like their little yeah, they, rite of passage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we could have been doing that Russia. That would have been cool, but yeah. you had to go and hack the nukes. Huh? Yeah. And, and this anyway. is part of the, the genius of being an independent podcast is uh, that we checked all of our equipment and our, we are Russia probe free. Um, we've yeah. done a full sweep. So this might be, and I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, Hunter, but Carl Pulling might be the, free, the, the last remaining free independent source of I was going to say news, but let's just say all information worldwide. Um, I, wow. I just went to the Louder with Crowder website, and it's just hammers and sickles everywhere. It just, That's, uh, it's not good. It, it's all bread lines and, yeah. and, uh, and kulaks all the way down um, in, in big piles. It's, it's too yeah. bad for them. Sorry, Stephen. Uh, Kulaks and piles of gulaks. That's pretty good. Kulak. That's catchy. I mean, how can you not? How can I mean, you not enjoy that? You massaged the term gulag pretty pretty string, stringently to get that to fit, Hunter. But yeah, uh, at any I know rate, what I'm doing. Uh, since we are the last remaining free beacon of independence and liberty on the face of planet Earth, we might as well let you know what we're about. This is Carl Pooling. It is a podcast. It started out in cars, and now it's moved. Uh, I was going to say terrestrial. Cars are still terrestrial. It's moved domicile. We are now recording from the the fortress of liberty, what I'm choosing to call the new Pentagon, my bedroom. So <laughs> we talk about politics, religion, philosophy, science, and that is what we do. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, I, I was at a little party over the weekend, Hunter, and... Uh, and a bunch of my friends that you know I don't get to talk to all the time are still up to date uh, on on each episode. had had interesting things to say. So, and they were telling oh, about wow. all their friends that they'd been sharing with. So we appreciate the heck out of you guys. And uh, actually, one of those guys that I'm talking about, look out because we're going to try and get him on the show in February to talk about a little theology. Uh, Ooh, sounds pretty cool. Exciting. So, uh, Love little, it. Little little interest and intrigue there. Uh, Hunter, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you get us started? Kick the tires um, with a little a little roadkill. Now, what could yeah. you choose for roadkill? Well, maybe AOC groveling back at the feet of Nancy Pelosi. Um, the hilarious negotiation tactics of Supreme Leader Nancy when she got her her uh, COVID relief bill cut in half because she is. Uh, I guess she was studying the art of the deal in order to make that reverse double down a reality. Um, <laughs> what, what could we choose? We could choose um, the Kraken uh, is now officially dead, as well as the Texas lawsuit, given that yeah. the Electoral College has voted. We're still watching the, um, the lawsuit Georgia. in Georgia. That's very important, but uh, it's been a real cavalcade. So, Hunter, hit me with your roadkill. Right. Um, all of those matter. Um, BLM really showed up to a fundraiser for childhood cancer and caused a scene <laughs> while people were trying to donate money to cancer research. 
Thank God so, for these people. <laughs> I mean, I'm sick and tired of kids with cancer, too. Um, I wish uh, we could just stop. They, they're so depressing. <laughs> they're really depressing. And it's really hard for me not to feel like I need to give them money. Um, right. So what this what this is, is is this like it's one of those like uh, Christmas light shows, right? Where you drive through and pay money and all the proceeds of this specific one go to uh, help kids with cancer. Uh, so like awesome thing. I love Christmas light shows. I love uh, supporting the good cause of no more cancer. And these and idiot kids with cancer just show up these... and ruin the festivities. It's like well, we're we're all sitting here trying to enjoy some pretty twinklies, scratching the most Neanderthal part of our brains that goes, ooh, shiny, <laughs> let's all gather and watch. And then right. a seven-year-old with mesothelioma and leukemia has to show up and be like, I don't have lungs. And we're like, could you please, you're standing directly in front of the Frosty the Snowman exhibit palooza extraordinaire <laughs> and and i can't see over the cloud that hangs over your poor uh your poor Sadness. malignant head so oh that's so sweet <sighs> thank god but but hunter tell us about the heroes at blm that showed up to put a kibosh on uh right. Susie with leukemia so yeah so they were doing god's work and they were like listen listen enough of these small children and enough of these lights, quite frankly. I mean, you've been behaving in such a, you know, unsophisticated way. Stop that. And why don't you pray to black Jesus and ask him to forgive you all of your sins? Did he? And no, because you can never be woke enough for black Jesus. Man. So there's that. That's tough. You know, um, just, to, just to come to put a little spit on this, it's not surprising that the members of BLM don't give a crap about whether or not kids die because, of course, they see uh, abortion rights as an intersection with their own oppression. And so right. that that's phase one. Phase two, literally this this week, there's been talk about how we should give we should give COVID vaccinations to frontline workers because instead of the the at-risk population which is the elderly because elderly people are more predominantly white than frontline workers so now we just we're they're truly advocating that we decide who lives on and dies based on race which is a little thing that uh that hitler was super good at um yeah by, he was really fond of that so it's so a great partnership there um so that's another area where they truly don't care about they care about um equity more than they care about uh not even just just black people dying but public health in general and right uh, because of course that policy will cause more black people to die and and maybe in in their uh, most ignorant push there was a legitimate piece of news a, a, an article written this week and i can't remember where it is so you'll have to forgive me saying that to fix systematic inequalities black people's votes should count twice as much as white people's votes um yeah i saw that as well you want to burn a democracy down you guys are pursuing all the proper tactics the, the, uh, the funny thing is we we did that already in the opposite direction you know at one point it was called the three-fifths compromise and we all decided that that was a very bad not good thing to do uh, hold on hunter i gotta take issue with you there Sure, that makes sense. That was a three-fifths compromise, okay? What did 60%. I say? 
Okay. Oh, okay. This is a three-sixth compromise. So there's an additional, <laughs> there's an additional percentage there. So I just don't want to. It's 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 fifty it's to not apples to apples. Yeah, and you know what? We all did agree that a three-fifths compromise was wrong. But what if we went a little bit further? And have you considered? Yeah, that's a good point. Oh my gosh, these people are so stupid. Seriously, leftism is brain worms. I yeah. don't know what else you can say about it. And, and you can yeah, you can be like, but QAnon believes adrenochrome is okay. But they didn't show up at at you know, they didn't show up at magical nights of lights to the benefit of the American Childhood Cancer Society and and wine. So when right. QAnon well, shows up there, you can then you can talk to me again. That's the same thing, Chris. Too that kind of influenced the fact that when we had the George Floyd riots um, back around that time and COVID was spreading, that we had medical doctors saying, well, systemic racism is a health risk, <laughs> right? It's that same kind of logic where it's like, it's almost like intersectionality in the realm of medical, yeah. right? And it's like, you know, it's like, well, sure, your kid has cancer, but Black people have been having it terrible for years. Therefore, we're more important. And why are you helping kids with cancer? You know, and it doesn't matter the data. It doesn't matter the science. It doesn't matter the statistics. It doesn't matter any of that. It doesn't even matter, like, what do you do in the face of that problem where we are today? It's all just kind of thrown out the window for, I don't know, people are afraid. People don't understand. People are trying to appear moral. They're trying to signal to other people and they're really having this game of power right um so well super fun just a just a bumper on that uh ravarora has a great new essay in quillette that got published um very well documented very well cited and it is uh stuff that we've been saying at carpooling for years now honestly but it is a, a death blow to the idea of intersectionality. We actually retweeted it on our Twitter. It's our it's our most recent tweet. So uh, this go. is the Asian women. Yes, that uh, Asia the 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 point of the article and and the, it goes much deeper than this. But effectively, empirically now, following the science, Asian women earn more than white men on average which they're a minor ethnic minority as well as women so they have this this intersectional oppression category and yet they're still out earning white men so the um the only conclusion there is that intersectionality is stupid and then it goes on to argue that it's actually cultural preferences that that cause that disparity go read the whole article it's a bit of a long read but it's super worth it maybe we'll do an episode about it in the future but I'm pretty sure that the the, the 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 argument against that thinking is going to be, well, that's all fine and good, but the only reason that's happening is because it benefits white men, right? <laughs> we've heard similar take. Well, no, we've right. heard similar takes like that before. You know, like where, yeah, the civil rights movement was good for black people, but the only reason it happened is because it was good for white people, at that point in time. You know what I mean? Hey guys, just just checking Uh-oh. in. If good things happening to Asian women is good for white men, maybe you should take away from that that a system that puts group uh, preference and, and let's say individual uh, desires at the forefront of decision making 
a, a system that says, I don't expect you to act virtuously. I don't expect you to act for the public good. I expect you to act in your own self-interest. And then we come up with a system that aligns that self-interest with public interest might be the best system. So your takeaway from that might be that even if you think that the only reason that Asian women are getting ahead in Pakistani and Indian, which I know is Asian and sub-Asian too, but anyhow, the only reason they're getting ahead is because it benefits white men. Maybe that just means that we've created a really, really good system where the self-interests of those at what you might call the highest echelon of society or, or the oppressive class actually wants the oppressed classes to succeed. Maybe we've actually cracked the code. So right. don't, don't backdoor argue for capitalism, you idiot socialists. Anyhow, right. um, uh, my, my thought process on that, and I replied to the article on this, is, was simply that, um, that racists would hear the news that Asian women are outpacing white men and they would be devastated by the news and become enraged by it. And yet true conservatives are cheering this finding. And there's something to say about that. If someone's right, actually yeah. racist, wouldn't they be incredibly upset to hear that? So anyway, l- the, a little the good aside, part but. is if you're, if you're a conservative and you live in that world where like Asian women are making the most money, that means you're the benefit you're the beneficiary too of all the productivity that class has. Right. Right. And so like, that's, that's the great part about capitalism is because productivity increases, it creates more goods and services for the society. And that's all good news. Right. So you don't have um, to be selfish to some extent. And in, in a, our, my final analysis, um, leftism is brainworms. So anyhow, uh, Hunter, let's get into today's topic because it's an important one. The election right. in Georgia looms like a specter over the future of the American democracy. And I don't mean that in a mystical or spiritual sense. What I really mean by that is we've got a, a president in uh, an incoming president elect in Joe Biden that I do not believe can be a bulwark to the progressive radicals in his own party. And we have um, a, a Democratic lead, although it's been diminished in the House of Representatives, um, so uh, or in Congress, if you will. So they have a controlling interest there. And these two runoffs in Georgia will decide the fate of the Senate, whether or not the Senate maintains a Republican majority and can act as a check on some of the more radical leanings of the their uh, the constituents of the House and the presidency, or if it will flip control to the Democrats with a 50-50 split, giving Kamala Harris a, a controlling vote in the Senate as the incoming vice president, and therefore a pathway to ram through uh, pretty much every progressive doctrine that they are interested in including, based on what they've said already, packing the Supreme Court and potentially adding new states to throw off the balance of power in the Senate in the future. So we do have a, a legitimate challenge to our, our republic and our constitutional organization at the moment playing out in the good old South. And that's what we want to talk about today. Specifically, I think we want to focus in on not so much the Republican candidates, um, Loeffler and Purdue. There's some interesting things about them. I think by and large, they're very typical Republican candidates. Uh, they, they don't have too many 
super defining qualities as far as I'm concerned. The one exception for me personally is that Kelly Loeffler wants to repeal major swaths of the National Firearms Act and make silencers over the counter like they should be, like they are in France for crying out loud. So I really like Kelly Loeffler for that specifically, but uh, we really wanna focus in on John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. And the reason being is that these aren't just Democratic candidates. You know, and, and where Purdue and Loeffler are pretty typical Republican candidates, center-right, basically, uh, Ossoff and Warnock would represent some of the most radical members of the, the Democratic constituency in the Senate. Uh, they're, they're effectively the Senate's version of the squad. I mean, some, they even put Maisie Hirono to shame in some of their beliefs. And, and we need to understand what specifically is at stake with this election, not just that they're trying to gain a, a raw majority or at least a, a balance with, with Kamala providing that deciding vote, but that they truly do have some of the most radical policies um, in the Senate. Specifically, Warnock, I think, would be the most radical member of the Senate as soon as he was elected. Yeah, and I think that makes sense to start from that perspective, too, um, given mainly the fact that I don't think Georgia is, I don't want to say ever, but it's been a very, very, very long time since a Democrat has been elected uh, to the to the Senate in Georgia. Um, and Several I think, decades, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, they're the new kids on the turf, to put it mildly. Um, Georgia is changing. Um, there's a lot of uh, actions taken by Stacey Abrams to drive and increase uh, black turnout within the state, which obviously increases the Democratic vote. Um, there's also a lot of new people coming to Georgia. Um, we've seen the film industry grow here. We've seen tech industry grow here. We've seen a lot of people move their businesses here because of the low taxes. In fact, I remember having conversations with people in Georgia uh, about you know people moving from New York and things like that because this is where the jobs were to some extent. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a lot of anecdotal evidence. Um, but yeah, there's um, there's some real there's a real influx of people into the state and that is leading to higher democratic numbers based on the industries. Those people are coming and based on the education of those people, uh, it all hits very highly on what you would consider, um, uh, demographics that point strongly to the democratic party. Right. So, right. And, and even though, you know, you're citing some anecdotal evidence Hunter, but it's certainly true that we've seen some, especially in the movie industry and the film industry, we've seen some flight from places like California into Georgia, and uh, right. because they were tired of stepping in piles of human refuse in the streets of San Francisco and and uh, Los Angeles County. So you're seeing some flight. And unfortunately, instead of realizing that the reason that the film industry was moving here was because it was much more inviting to the profit incentive and to companies that want to turn their books back to the black, uh, they're bringing their progressive policies with them that hollowed out the economy and their their climate controlled state. Already, right. so so, uh, there's certainly some hard evidence to to assist that anecdotal evidence. I think that's one of the reasons we saw Georgia at least appear to go blue in this last election. Of course, there is a very very contentious lawsuit, very serious lawsuit that's still proceeding here. So, anyhow, well, let's jump into it then. I think we should start with John Ossoff because um, 
John Ossoff's easier to diagnose than Warnock in a lot of ways. He is absolutely a caricature. Um, you know, he kind of sprung onto the scene in 2017. Hunter, do you remember uh, when he kind of first came to, quote, political prominence back uh, at the beginning of Trump's administration? I actually don't. I, I don't remember this Joker until this election. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, I just, I mean, I'm not going to, he just was never, I guess the best way to say is he was never important enough for me to pay attention to. Um, I had bigger fish to fry, I guess, sure. uh, during that time. But anyway. Well, let's talk about him. So he was born um, a poor black child. Just kidding. Go no. watch The Jerk. He was born in 1987. Um, Are you, can you watch The Jerk anymore? Uh, Hunter, you can't watch Gone with the Wind anymore. You certainly can't watch <laughs> Steve Martin's seminal comedy. Uh, no doubt. So anyway, he was born in, in 1987 in a, in a suburb of Atlanta. And uh, he actually came out of the womb with silver spoons deeply and <laughs> completely integrated into each of his orify. Is that is is it orifices or orify? Um, I think it it's octopi, right? So it's orify. Orify. Um, yeah. He, he was born to a, a incredibly incredibly wealthy parents, and uh, his his mother is uh, already a political crony. She was the co-founder of a super PAC in Georgia. I'll tell you the name in literally two seconds. The new power the new power pack that works to elect women to local office across Georgia. So that is what his mother was up to. And his father is um, a Richard Ossoff, a Russian Jewish um, individual with some Lithuanian Jewish descent. He owns Stratford Publications, a specialist publishing company, reading directly from the Wikipedia page here on John Ossoff. So uh, owner of a publication company, co-founder of a super PAC. These people have money out the wazoo. And uh, from a young age, he started attending what is known as the Padilla School here in the great state of Georgia. It's in a fairly affluent uh, neighborhood in Atlanta. And effectively, they are age three through 18 educa private education. And uh, it's a pretty nice place, Hunter. Pretty nice school. Pretty nice school. I did a little research into into the school itself, and uh, right. Hunter, just guess for me. Uh, guess what the right. yearly tuition is for high school grade twelve this year? Is it five dollars? It is twenty seven thousand four hundred and twenty nine dollars. So dang it, I was close. I was uh, really close, Chris. The tuition to his to his private high school was more yeah. than my tuition. To to a post secondary public university or a second I'm sorry secondary public university, um, I think it was more than my entire four years in college. It's more than I paid out of pocket for my four years, but of course there was scholarships involved. But I mean, sure, that's fair. It, it's just that's one year of high school. The thing that most it's people insane. get for free from the state, right? Um, right. He paid, he paid, so that means just to get through high school, Hunter, we're talking about $108,000. Good Lord. That's uh, he, pretty wild. Pretty wild, man. No doubt about it. And there's, there's quite a few people in Atlanta. There's quite a few, few people in 
private schools in Atlanta, but the average high school class size in the Paideia school is 14 people. Uh, so, Tiny. So, yeah. It's what you might call, Hunter, if this were, you know, 2010, it's what something that you might refer to as the 1%. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, he seems to fit very, very, very strongly into that category. In fact, maybe even like the 0.01%. Yeah, um, he's certainly very affluent. He went yeah. to Georgetown University to get his degree, and um, he, he had some prestigious teachers there, including Madeleine Albright, of course, former U.S. Secretary of State. And um, then he went to get his Master of Science degree from the London School of Economics. So after he was done doing his little learning in the United States, his rich parents flew him across the pond to do some fun learning over in London. So oh, nice. Um, uh, Hunter, did you ever uh, get a, de- uh, a graduate degree from a foreign country? Yeah. Which one? Lithuanska. Uh, you made that up. Yes. I definitely did. I think you just mixed up you Lithuania and Helsinki. <laughs> yeah, I tried. I think it's a good country. I think that sounds fun. Right. Well, his parents, after he got that degree, they weren't done funding his idiocy yet. They bought him a film production company. So that's wow. fun, too. Um, I feel like my life has sucked. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So here, here's, here's this sets the scene. And then, you know, of course, he was a congressional staffer. He worked with um, Hank Johnson and John Lewis, uh, major civil rights player John Lewis. Uh, he worked in, as members of their staff for several years until, of course, the special election in Georgia in 2017 when he decided to run for Georgia's 6th Congressional District. Um, I don't remember who he's running against. I think it was Karen Handel, if I'm not mistaken. And he lost. That's the important part. He, he didn't oh, do so well. John! So, anyhow. I uh, was hoping for you, buddy. But let's talk about it for just a second, Hunter, because if you're the kind of person that has benefited exceptionally from from the American profit incentive. You had everything that you ever wanted. This country allowed your parents to get exceptionally rich, even though, even though they were minor, a minority. Wait, sorry. Jew, or, wait, Hunter. Quick aside. Are Jews still uh-huh. a minority? Technically, no. Because they're, they're just, they're white. Because right. they work hard. Correct. Okay, so they... they it's not like it's not like this the um, Smithsonian Institute for uh, for whatever that that uh, that horrible thing well, that well, said that hard work was a white quality or yeah, an impressive quality. Whatever their black exhibition is that said like showing up on time is part of a white power structure. Um, yeah, I mean, no doubt. So since Jews can actually get to work on time, by the way, for any idiots out there. Of course, black people work exceptionally hard. Of course, they could show up to work on time. It's just you right. um, brain worm, Swiss cheese, gray matter riddled it's sycophants that think that they can't. Who would put out some racist tripe like that to uh, right. explain disparate outcomes in America. So anyway, so they're technically white. So I'll, ta- I'll retract my minority status claim there. But you would think that he would be incredibly appreciative, would you not, of the American experiment, since it got him a, a CEO-ship by fiat, since he was able to right. get multiple degrees. Well, you're wrong. Uh, he's actually just a completely uh, retroactive, insipid, insane socialist. 
And Say it isn't so, Christopher. Hey, you want to know something that uh, I found kind of funny as I was doing some of my research on this? Yeah. You go to the Padilla School's website, and you know we've talked about this before, how liberal our education system is in America. This is a private school for very, very right. rich people in the Atlanta area. You go to right. their their site, and you know how there's a, usually a pop-up on every site now because Europe is stupid that says, do you accept cookies? Um, yep. They have a version of that that says, Black Lives Matter, and we're listening. See what the Paideia School is doing to, um, to assist in the fight, whatever. You click on it, and I'm going to read you a little bit about what they are doing. This is part of their action plan. They're conducting okay. interviews and, and focus groups so that they can take care of... Why doesn't anybody ever do anything that's worthwhile in this stuff? Like, this is how we're fighting systemic racism. <laughs> we're not going in the streets. We're not We're not tearing down the oppressive structures. We're going to talk. Hunter, you, gonna haven't even, you haven't even heard what they're doing yet. How dare yeah, you prejudge them? <laughs> All right, Listen, my bad. Go but, ahead. No, honey, tell me all the wonderful things they're doing. Work they're doing. <laughs> all right, First of all, all right. I stand corrected. They're giving specific high school and junior high students training in anti-racism and white privilege. I'm reading directly from the PadillaSchool.org. So wow. now they're going to incorporate incorporate uh, uh, ex candy style anti-racist curriculum in their uh, middle and high school students. So oh wow, that's fun. They're creating yeah. safe spaces for all students on campus. How does that help the anybody? How dare God, you? God, I'm mad. Maybe you wouldn't be such a racist if you had had a safe space growing up. Do you know where your safe space should be since you're white? If you if you if you wanted to like to do something that helped racism and systemic racism, you wouldn't create safe spaces for the white kids. Well, they're doing right? it for all students on campus. Right. That doesn't make that like it doesn't correlate. It doesn't seem like it would do anything. It doesn't fix the problem. It's the wrong solution for your problem. You well, know what I'm trying to say? Like Hunter, maybe some ahead. of these other ones will make you happy. Um Okay, fine. They're going to host a review of their systems for reporting racial harassment, racial discrimination, instances of racial microaggressions, and bullying in both junior and high school. So, Hunter, they're gonna review their policy. How can I'm that not twenty thousand I'm paying $20,000 a year, and you don't know if your policies are good enough? No, they're paying $27,000 a year, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm putting a down payment on a house, and nobody knows if we can catch racism in this school? I mean, what the heck? <laughs> that should have been figured out before I had to do that. Good Lord. Hunter, okay. Their allyship can—it really, truly knows no bounds. So basically, what they're saying here is they're going to make these like Title IX style courts for their middle school, so that if you're well, thank you know, God that actually helps. Can you imagine? Like middle school students are so stupid, and yet you're going to embroil them in this, uh, this, and, and they, they literally use the word microaggressions, which means that like cool. if a middle oh, cool. school student touches the the puka shell in your dreadlock. Now he's going to be pulled into this review board. Um, absolute insanity. They're middle schoolers for crying out loud. Uh, right. A departmental review of curriculum and materials and examination of how we discuss race in the classroom to ensure that none of the students at the Padilla School ever learn anything for their $27,000 right. price tag. 
uh, a review of student class placement in high school, specific training required for teacher, staff, and administrators in anti-racism and white privilege, conversations with parents and alumni to gather feedback and information to help. Hunter, look at all these conversations they're having. I am, I am, I am sick of it, dude. Like, here's the deal. Like, all that stuff actually does, here, he actually believed there was a problem, right? There are some logical steps you should take to make sure it gets resolved. Right. Um, if you wanted to not get sued because a lot of people complained about something, you would talk to them to make sure that you say, well, no, we did it. This is this is just bullcrap. This is just an or this is just a company doing their CYA, and everybody laps <laughs> it up and goes, "Thank you so much Look for at caring." These allies, they're right. also and, working with the National Independent School Association and the Assessment of Inclusive and Multi- Multiculturalism Survey results. They've increased their commitment right. to diversity work in 2020, 2021, and they are making a new commitment to diversity and hiring and recruitment. Hunter, why is all of this stuff just total BS? Maybe because there's not a freaking problem. Maybe if there was an actual problem you could identify, you could have an actual tailored solution instead of all this wokest techno babble jargon about safe spaces and microaggressions to further coddle your one percenter students. Uh, My my thing I love so much about that is when they said they're gonna recommit to like not being racist. And it's like, guess what? I don't have to do. I don't need to recommit. I never stopped. And there's no, there's not, never had to, never had I ever had to recommit about not being a racist or whatever it is. Like, I mean, good Lord. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, Anyway, so that's, uh, that's the thing that made Sean Ossoff, huh? You're right. So, so what I'm saying is, yes, of course. The wokeism is it's just like when blm was saying defund the police and they're still saying defund the police by the way we'll get to that later well, they're not uh, saying, Raphael they're not Warnock, saying your police. turn we'll get to you later they're but, not saying defund the police they're saying stop helping the kids with cancer and defund the police it's it's, it's a two-step solution chris but but the when they are when they are saying that and then you actually interview real life black people which i guess blm doesn't do so often because they're all these fake npcs when you actually talk to black people by and large they support as much or more police in their communities right. so their right. their policies aren't tailored to actually benefiting black people whatsoever this is this is the same type of of movement Instead of uh, having any kind of introspection or any kind of actually tailored policies, what they want to do is they want to lobby around some slogans to pretend like they are making a difference while ignoring any of the actual problems or any of the actual desires of the people that they're pretending to help. This is the one point or the point zero 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 one percent. They're not at all concerned with fixing any systemic inequalities they only exist because there's inequality no one could afford to go Mm -hmm. to your school if uh, these inequalities didn't exist so Mm -hmm. it's it's incredibly rich to hear from the incredibly privileged how the rest of us need to behave and i don't care here's the thing here's the difference between john ossoff and i is that i'm fine with you being rich i'm not going to pretend like it's a bad thing the profit incentive has made America the greatest country on the face of planet Earth. Go do it. But for you to have that kind of privilege and then turn around and say, by the way, 
rich people are bad and these big corporations are bad. It's like, dude, that's you. You're, you're just pointing back at yourself. So quit, quit pretending like you speak for the little people. Why don't you leave them alone? Instead of just, instead of just, well, you, you said it right, Hunter. Instead of just uh, indulging the conspiracies and, and performing CYA so that you don't get lambasted by an incredibly privileged group of people who care about stuff like microaggressions. Uh, mm -hmm. Much like suicide, leftism is a privilege of the elite. So, anyhow... Yeah, that's the but yeah. but we've talked about it before. That's what is in your secondary institutions. That's what's in your graduate institutions, and now it's it's in your private high schools too. This kind of of brain rot, cancerous nonsense is what built John Ossoff, and so it's not surprising that he uh, found himself into uh, you know in in the vein of a Bernie Sanders style politician because he's never had to work for anything. He's never had a, held a real job. He believes that life should be easy because he's the least connected, least grounded person potentially on the face of planet Earth. And that forms his opinions. Um, and he thinks he's doing the work. He thinks he's putting in effort by allying with those people who he thinks he, he understands their struggle. He doesn't understand it at all. Um, most people just want to be left alone. So, yeah, completely. And, agree. So what, what kind of policies does that breed, Hunter? We're we just going to play the, can you guess what John Ossoff believes about this, this, uh, position abortion? Uh, you know, right to life, of course. Not exactly. He just, uh, he supports oh. abortion. So, oh, okay. Well, I was a little off. He also opposes prison sentences for nonviolent drug offenses, um, which is the stupidest position to take. If you think that nonviolent drug offenses should be legal, then just legalize them. Don't decriminalize them. What, right. People who break the law should face the penalty of the law. If you don't like the law, change the law. Uh, don't yeah, blame agreed. law enforcement. Um, he opposes defunding the police, he says, as well as abolishing... Um, the U uh, ice. He, he says he oppo opposes those things. So, um, mm -hmm. climate change, Hunter. How do you think the old Ossoff feels about the climate change? Uh, probably that it's a hoax. Uh, not exactly, Hunter. Why are you my co-host? Because <laughs> I'm well researched. <laughs> no, you're just so damned likable. Um, that's right. He is, he says he's not in favor of the green new deal, but he, he believes that climate change is a threat to our security and prosperity. And he, um, supports participation in the climate accords. And he, he says he doesn't support the green new deal in the same way that Joe Biden says he doesn't support the green new deal. He's like, no, I don't support it because it's very unpopular. I'd like to rewrite it word for word and then pass it. So, right. I don't support the green new deal. I support the green new deal that I wrote. Exactly. Which um, is clever. He he wants to um, his immigration policy isn't terrible. He wants to have a comprehensive immigration reform, which includes um, strengthening border enforcement and making a path for citizenship for um, illegal immigrants. So eh, kind of middle of the road there. Uh, I actually don't expect much more than that from the Democratic side. And it seems at least reasonable to increase border security. And if you want to create a path for citizenship, that's a separate issue. But. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that. Uh, healthcare, he supports the Affordable Care Act. So, warp, warp. 
And, uh, of course, he hates Donald Trump because Donald Trump is a Nazi. So there's that. Cool. I've been noticing, like, in his ads, the message that he's been trying to get across is health, jobs, justice, right? Right. Those three things. And it seems like what that means is, like, health care, right? And then jobs, given the fact that COVID has wrecked everything, he wants to do a stimulus plan. And then justice in a, like, a new civil rights bill. And to me, the thing... I think healthcare is something that we still have to debate as a society because mm-hmm. healthcare is not very good um, in a lot of ways. It's very crony capitalism, and it's very much the solution to that um, is probably not more gov- government overreach. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it's really simple in a lot of ways, at least where the conversation is to start. Healthcare is the most socialized industry we have in America. Do you think it's the most effective or is it the least no. effective? And so is your prescription then when you've got incredibly effective industries, like, for instance, our drug research industries, which are less restricted. um, Right. Or, you know, electric or the vehicle industry or the electronic communications industry, where all of the the giants the entire world over from America are some of the least restricted industries. So, so you have this spectrum aligning, and so is your prescription that we should actually push further to the left in this one industry that's super ineffective, while we have all of these very free industries being hyper-effective uh, on the right? Um, I guess you do you. I would think that you would try and make it more like cell phones and less like healthcare. Yeah, and the thing that's kind of proven that to me, too, is when we said, like, you know, only essential surgeries. Now... There's no essential surgery. If you need a knee replacement, you really need a knee replacement and you need it really quick, you know, because you're going to lose usage of your knee as the longer that goes on. So I don't necessarily agree with that. But what I do think is good about that is, hey, yeah, getting a knee replaced is really important, but it's not today important. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a little bit of time there. There's maybe it's two weeks important or whatever, whatever that solution is. And as long as I can shop that around and get the guy who's having the deal, you know, the Black Friday knee replacement special, like, why not? You know, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, The fact that there is no competition there and it's all hidden behind doors and smoke and mirrors. And I mean, the other thing, too, is I don't know. I don't know all the things here, but like knees to me are really complicated and I'm sure they are. And I'm sure surgeons need to know a lot to be operating on knees. But like. I don't think it takes 10 plus years to train somebody how to do knee surgeries. I just don't. And I think there could be a trade school program that would be like, look, I'm not really a doctor, but I can do knee surgeries. You know, my, you get what I'm saying. And I don't know all the solutions there, but like if you could deregulate and be like, Hey, this guy's our knee surgeon and we pay him $70,000 a year. And all he does is come in and do knee surgeries and that's it. And he can't, he can't be in a he can't be in alone in a room. He needs to be overseen by you know a doctor needs to oversee him and two other guys that are doing knee surgeries today. You know whatever that solution is, but like this guy just cranks out knees. Um, anyway, there's a lot of things there that I think we could do. What you're talking about basically is is price transparency and despecialization. My my true yes. take, and, and you can do do your own research on this. Maybe uh, we've talked about it before on Carl Pullen. Maybe we'll talk about it again in the future. But the number one thing harming the healthcare industry right now is this um, is this 
lack of transparency in the pricing and the fact that it's right. government subsidized because you don't care about the price when you know that government subsidy and, and insurance are going to pay a majority of the bill. And it's just like how tuition at college programs has gone up thousands and thousands of percent in the in the past three to four decades um, because no one actually pays their tuition anymore. So now if you can't right. get a grant, you can't afford it. That is the same problem we have in the in the healthcare industry and we're still paying for it we're just paying for it via taxes and and debt so we're leveraging our future generations for it as well um right but to get back to Ossoff a little bit hunter one thing that you mentioned is his ads and what he says in his ads oh sorry do you have- i want to touch on the i want to touch on those other two points real quick if i can oh, heck the yeah. jobs thing which is with the jobs things like with the covid um i believe it was nancy pelosi who was holding that up if i remember correctly you anyway remember correctly uh, yeah, okay, well, great. But the thing that really kind of, like, scares me about his ad is this new civil rights bill. Because the only thing that I can think about there is, what civil rights do you not have that you want in this right. new law? And that's the thing, because I cannot think a lot of civil rights that are, like, rights minorities don't have in the United States, but I can think a lot of rights that they might want to have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, like uh, affirmative action, right? And things like that. That's right um, where I wanted to talk. That's right where I want to go. Oh, cool. Because I think that's All the right. most dangerous part of John Ossoff. Let me put it to you this way, Hunter. There's very few rights that uh, there's no rights in America that I'm aware of. And if I'm wrong, right in, I, I want to know if I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong as far as I can tell. And I have researched it that apply disproportionately to certain ethnic groups. It just doesn't happen or to women and men. It just, there's not anything codified in law that protects certain people over others with the small exception of the, the rules that we have on the books regarding affirmative action. So they actually work right. counter to the narrative. Okay, that, right. being, that being said, here's what I want to know. What new civil rights do you want that don't infringe on other people's rights to their own labor? And that's the killer. Yeah. Because that's what yeah. socialist John Ossoff wants. And this is the thing that I find so disturbing about his ads, Hunter, is he, he talks about health care and the new Civil Rights Act, and he talks about equity. Equity, which is not equality. Equity is parity. It's... Mm-hmm. It's equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And that's socialist. Yeah. And and here's the problem with right. that. What new civil right could you give that doesn't infringe upon my right to my own labor? If you say healthcare is right. a human right, what you're really saying is that doctors no longer have a right to their own labor. And if you want to read up, read the first three chapters of the Gulag Archipelago, Volume 1. If you want to look yeah. at what that looks like when you lose the right to your own labor, just take a peek at, at what that buys you. Um, I'll give you a hint. Lots and lots of bodies. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that it would happen in America like that overnight. What I am saying is that I have a hard time, like you, Hunter, seeing what new civil rights we could have that don't infringe existing civil rights. Yeah, and I think one thing that people people rightly are upset by the fact that we do not have equity in our society. Um, and what I mean by that is the fact that you see the haves and the haves nots should bother you, right? That is a part of the problem of human existence, right? We'll always have the poor with us, right? Mm-hmm. 
That's and or, it should uh, in America what you might call the poorer. Right, the poorer. And it should it should make you upset to some extent because life is struggle, life is pain, life is really harder on some people and it's and that sucks and that's a part of life. The problem is what do you do about that? Mm-hmm. And if the if the solution is to grab all the dials and twist them so that nobody gets to have any fun, which is basically not what socialism says it is, but what it turns out to be in practice, right? right? Then, you know, that's not a good solution. And I think what if I think what's definitely been proven true is although it may not be for the best reasons, nor may it be for um, and nor may it, you know, divide out everything as fairly as we would like. Capitalism does that the best, right? And it gets it gets more things into more people's pockets than any other system, right? And I think what people should be thinking when they're trying to, uh, or when they're worried about, um, how to say it exactly, when they're worried about the equity problems is, you know, one of the easiest ways to get there is to create new products, new services, new things that make people's lives more equitable in the long run. And I think there's... I think that's the, the probably the best way to look at it. I feel like that's what you see happen with um, uh, with a lot of the best things that get invented. Yeah, Hunter, I think I think you're totally right about that. Here's one way you can put it: socialism is preoccupied with dividing up the pie equally, whereas capitalism is interested in increasing the size of the overall pie. And so not only is it the best way to achieve actual equity, um, as close as we can ever get maybe on this planet, but it's also the best way for making what we do have the, 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 in the proportions that we have it better for the entire group. And mm-hmm. that's one of the beautiful things about it. What really worries me about Ossoff Hunter, and this is kind of my final analysis, I guess, but when he brings this equity and racially infused language into those, um, into those items, into those policy positions, it feels to me like we will be pursuing a set of agendas that do not care about facts, that do not care about science, that don't care about the data, simply care about the narrative. And we're going to form policy and make decisions based on that. And that is a horrible thing to do to a free society. Hmm. And and it's not surprising that he thinks that way. I mean, you we just read about the milieu that he was raised in. He has never had to struggle for anything, and he doesn't understand why anyone else would have to. And he's just, in that way, kind of an incompetent emperor with a new set of clothes. Uh, he's a buffoon. He doesn't understand the struggle of actual people. Just like BLM can't, re- can't get through its head that black communities want the police and that the safest, most prosperous black communities are those with the most police. He can't understand that uh, giving people right to their labor is far more important than ensuring they, they get a, a cavalcade of freebies from the government. So anyhow, I think that pretty much sums up Ossoff. Hunter, got any final thoughts on him? No, I'm good. Well, let's transition over to Raphael Warnock. Reverend. And, uh, yeah, sure. There's about as much reverend <laughs> in Raphael Warnock as there is in my desk. I, I mean, he to call him a reverend, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, is incredibly rich for my blood. Yeah. And so 
he is he has been behind the pulpit for a while uh, in Atlanta. He is a controversial figure to say the least. Um, Hunter, we can talk about his policies. Uh, you want to start with some of his policies and then maybe move into some of the most disturbing elements of his character? And Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, well, none of this will be su- super surprising. He's anti-law enforcement. Uh, he has referred to police as gangsters and thugs, um, saying you can all wear all kinds of colors and be a thug. You can sometimes wear the colors of the state and behave like a thug. Okay, that's not necessarily... Not true. You can. There are police yeah. officers who do bad things. Yep. Um, he also says that police pose a danger to children. He says our children are in trouble, and it's often those who are sworn to protect who cause more trouble. So he's saying that police presence is more dangerous than lack of police presence? I mean, I don't know another way to read that statement. Right. Um, he said in a 2015 sermon that we shouldn't be surprised when we see police officers act like bullies on the street, saying that you don't get to be the incarceration capital of the world by playing nice on the streets. So basically saying that the prison system is, you know, it's this old, tired old adage that it's a prison for hire system or a prison for profit system rather, and that we love incarceration in America and American law enforcement is just randomly scooping up children and placing them behind bars. Yep. So... Uh, typical tired um he's also um argued against the death penalty for cop killers and and different things like that specifically uh troy davis he um asked asked a court to reconsider its denial of clemency who uh was convicted in 1989 of murdering uh officer mark allen mcphail so that's not so cool um he's also talked about emptying the prisons this is not a good thing. Said in a 2019 survey, somebody's got to open up the jails in a, a um, conference entitled Let My People Go, colon, Mass Incarceration. So. Great. That's not fun. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, people want to say he's a reverend, he's a good guy. You know, I think, Hunter, you were telling me about, like, there's this, uh, tell me about that ad you mentioned about him. Uh, where they were trying to paint him as kind of like rough, nice guy, uh, Raphael Warnock. You were saying something about him walking. They his had dog him or like something. walking his dog, right? And they were trying to make him this nice person, and a little bit of the Joe Biden kind of treatment, in my opinion, right? Like you feel good about voting for Joe, right? You love Joe. He loves America. Joe, vote for Joe. You know, and they are trying to basically do the same thing with Raphael Warnock, where he's wearing a nice sweater and walking his dog, and you know, or not a sweater, but like a nice like puffer coat or whatever, right? And, you know, it's just nice and, you know, and basically saying that, like, Kelly Loeffler saying a lot of mean things about me. I'm not bad. I have a dog, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. maybe he's not a great guy. There is um, in March of this year, he was actually uh, accused of running over his wife's foot after a divorce related argument about the custody of their son. Or uh, I'm sorry, I actually don't know the, the gender of the child. Um, wow. Uh, cool. So. There's a there's a little anti-reverend style behavior there at least. Um, right. Divorce and child custody nasty enough as it is. Um he's anti-gun. He's he's supported bills in the past um restricting guns in churches and bars and those kind of things in the state of Georgia. So you got your typical anti-gun stuff. Here's maybe the least reverendish thing about him. I mean obviously he 
uh, wants to, he's, he's got a similar perspective, like, no, I don't support the name Green New Deal. Um, oh, you know what? Actually, I take that back. He, um, he actually did say he would join to support specifically the Green New Deal uh, that was put forward by Senator Markey. So he has actually um, supported that. And of course, he's a fan for Medicare for All, um, which would be terrible for Georgia and terrible for the United States in general. Here's maybe the least reverend thing about him, and maybe why we should quit calling Raphael Warnock reverend altogether. He opposes, quote, all abortion restrictions. All Interesting. of them. Yeah, that's great. So, awesome. you know, there's been like, we've talked about this a lot before, but, you know, they're in, in uh, you know, the the North Atlantic coast of the United States, there's been even some governors coming out and saying things that post birth abortions might be on the table uh, for kids that maybe survived a botched abortion or something like this. Right. Or, uh, you know, abortion up until birth. Whereas there was some legislation in Georgia and Alabama recently that said, you know, we're going to put a timeline on it um, based on fetal development, those types of things. Oh, he's against all of it. So, right. Hunter, as a Christian, how do you read the Bible, call yourself a minister of the Bible, and find yourself believing that you must oppose all abortion restrictions? Yeah, I think you, I mean, I think you do so by lying to yourself and, one, wanting to put different forms of morality above the other and call yourself God. Right? As concise, and I agree. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. It, I just, I, it, I, I think we'll get into this point later. I think you're exactly right. I think this is somebody that sees humanity as God and not God as God. And I think it becomes evident when you look at some of the groups that he's, he's cohabitating with and campaigning with and right. where you look at some of what he said about what constitutes theology and and the state of the black church that he's a part of, I think that there's some really disturbing things there. But but right off the bat, I think anybody who says they're a pro-abortion minister, you should write them off entirely. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there can be maybe a nuanced argument about that. I don't think the Bible leaves any space for one. But when you say... I oppose all abortion restrictions, then I think there's no argument at all. I, I don't even think we're in a, the realm for discussion then. You just don't care what the Bible says about right. that. Right. And therefore don't care about Christianity and what it has right. to say about those kinds of things. Right. So yeah. anyway, there's, there's all that. So obviously from a policy perspective, he's extremely um, radical. But maybe we should talk about some of his associations and some of the things he said from the pulpit, because I think that's really where he goes from being a radical progressive to maybe the most radical member that would have ever been in the United States Senate. Right. Uh, yeah. And I don't think pastors ever get a pass for anything they, they say in the pulpit, you know, um, that should be one of the most rehearsed and well thought through speeches that you give, right? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you don't necessarily think you can't say something wrong, but you have to own up for it, up to it, sure. whatever it is. And so 
I don't think there's anything wrong with reading the plain meaning of his words. And I think he's responsible for the confusion generated by those words too. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing play out a lot and the critiques you're seeing to it. Um, you know, he's, he's said GD America after Jeremiah, Wright. Um, he said, you cannot serve God in the military. Uh, he's, he said a lot of interesting things beyond that. Um, you've mentioned some of the things, you know, his sermons regarding incarceration. Um, I don't think it was in a sermon, but his statements also about the, um, nation of Islam and how it's been good for black theology, which, okay, cool. We just, we're clearly not talking about Christianity. We're clearly just talking about, this is going to sound interesting, political black religion, right? Yes. Yeah. And Well, it's the religion of wokeism, really. Right. But yeah. And I, I think, and you know, I've been in churches where pastors have alluded to um, the nation of Islam. And the thing that's always been like striking to me is like, how in the world did that get through all the filters that should have been there? You know, how did that, how did that make it through? And it's like, you know, I understand, you know, the necessity to quote people outside of Christian circles, you know, like I can see a reason to quote Hitler and Stalin in your sermon, you know, but it's probably not because you like what they said. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully not. Right. And so I, I don't know. Warnock has, Warnock has done several things from the pulpit that I think are just um, betray his cause a little bit. Right. Well, Hunter, I think that's really what we should focus in on. I think we should talk about his association with three people and walk through those. And then what, then let's draw some conclusions about what that, what he thinks his place is in uh, the church, what he thinks his place is in the black church, how he sees the black church. Does he see it as a religious vessel or as a political one? And, uh, Maybe wrap it up there. So if, I, okay. I think it's Jeremiah Wright, yep, Louis Farrakhan, and Linda Sarsour. I think yeah. that kind of gets us there. three winners. Yeah, uh, and he he has close associations with all of them. Truly. So first of all, Jeremiah Wright. Jeremiah Wright, and I am going to quote here. This is at least probably to a majority of our audience highly offensive language, but but based on the violence that violence in scare quotes that America purveys. Uh, Jeremiah Wright came out and gave his quote-unquote sermon um, where he said, God damn America. And this was back in 2008, and it was a firestorm because it's such a crazy thing to ask for. It's such a crazy thing to say. And, of course, Jeremiah Wright was trying to condemn violence by the military and police force, etc. And uh, several days later, the next day, here comes Raphael Warnock to defend Jeremiah Wright on national television where he repeated those remarks, which I will not repeat again, and, and defended Jeremiah Wright. He said, quote, that the sermon that Jeremiah Wright preached was consistent with black prophetic preaching and that that <laughs> sentiment, GD America, is a very fine homily on God and government. And when he was asked specifically about the... the um, comments you can watch the clip yourself uh, I believe he was on Fox News actually um, he basically ignored most of the question and started condemning America for things he per- perceived to be offenses so um, 
let's just focus on one little nugget right there. It's consistent with black prophetic preaching. Right. Okay, I'm going to take exception to that right away. There's no such thing as black prophecy. There's prophecy. There's no such thing as white prophecy. There's just prophecy. And if you actually read the Bible and take its theological teaching seriously, then you know that there's that skin color is the least important quality that a human being can have when it's when it comes to receiving the word of God and the teachings of God and the theology of the Bible. It's all things to all people. Right. You know, and Jew and Greek. It's, that's right. Um, so to say that, to, to even make the distinction that there's black prophecy as opposed to prophecy in general is a major red flag to me as far as his reverend status is concerned. Correct. Absolutely um, true. Anything you want to add to that? I don't know if there's much to add to it. I mean, it's it's one of those things that's just so on its face wrong if you've done a cursory reading of the Bible that it's right. surprising that people go to his church, right? <laughs> right. Um, and it just tells you what's being sold there is not Christianity. A- absolutely. It's not saying the people there aren't Christians. It's not even saying that Reverend Raphael Warnock isn't a Christian. It's just saying that what's why people are showing up at that church Sunday morning is n- that's not the heart and soul of it. So right. Okay. Well, let's let's move on then to Louis Farrakhan. So Louis Farrakhan is great guy. The nas- he's the national representative of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam. So the way that the Nation of Islam is set up, um, there's kind of the the grand puha at the top right. who is Elijah Muhammad, and then. Louis Farrakhan is a minister and his his uh, ambassador, almost, if you will. Now, Louis Farrakhan and and Raphael Warnock have some interesting intersections, uh, but it's important to remember who Louis Farrakhan is. Louis Farrakhan is one of the worst people in America, at least one of the worst people in America with a public pulpit. He is grossly anti-Semitic. He despises Israel. And he despises people that support Israel. He has been very vocal about supporting every racist conspiracy theory against Israel and conspiracy theories about the state of being black in America. Louis Farrakhan is a piece of human debris. He said, and I quote, uh, when confronting from the pulpit accusations of being an anti-Semite, he says, I'm not anti-Semite, I'm anti-Termite. Thereby uh, juxtaposing Jewish people and insects. I mean, this guy is straight up like Der Sturmer, Himmler, propagandist against the state of Israel and the Jewish people. You really couldn't get any more disgusting, in my opinion, than Louis Farrakhan. Hmm. Yeah. So what does Raphael Warnock have to say about old Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam? They've done great work for black theology. That uh, he, he went on TV, or, or at least he was being recorded, and was asked, what do you think of the Nation of Islam? And he said they were important in forming black theology. Black I Christian mean, theology. Right. And this is like the same problem we've, you have with Jeremiah Wright. Uh, e- even worse, because you're crossing the streams on religions now. Right? It's, right. Not only is it wrong that there's a race version of theology in general but now it's also 
remember that guy that's not Jesus, we're going to start getting our theology from him. Right. And, and even though Nation of Islam doesn't even pretend to be Christian right. um, in, in a lot of ways, um, he, he says that, that Louis Farrakhan's voice was an important voice in creating black Christian theology. Okay, right. well, do you know what most Christian theologians can learn from the Nation of Islam or Islam, the, original, the religion in general? Absolutely nothing. The idea that you should base theological uh, ideas on teachings from other religions is counterthetical to the idea of theology on its face. Right, right, right. And right. yet he says that that's what black theology is. So once again, this, is, this has nothing to do with Christianity. This has nothing to do with theology at all. In fact, right. it's kind of disturbing that he sees a fellow traveler in Louis Farrakhan that he thinks he needs to defend. And, and it would point to the idea that he's far more concerned with political expediency than he is with any kind of morals or, or objective theological standard. I completely agree with that. So that's pretty disgusting. And yeah. while we're on the topic of anti-Semites, let's talk about Linda Sarsour. So Linda Sarsour appeared on a virtual vote-a-thon hosted by the Council on American-Islamic Relations and the Georgia Muslim Voter Program. And she also said that she'd probably be coming to a door near you uh, to speaking to voters in Georgia. So Linda Sarsour is hitting the campaign trail for both John Ossoff and, um, and Raphael Warnock. So, and she was talking about how you could swing the entire election, basically, with these runoffs in Georgia. She's not wrong about that. But no. let's talk a little bit about Linda Sarsour. Um, she is friendly with convicted terrorists. She organized the Women's March. And uh, she has a, I mean, too many to even go in on the show. She has a cavalcade of anti-Semitic. She uh, sexually threatened Ayan Hirsi Ali in public. Right. Right. Uh, and and has, a, has a, a, a lists, reams of anti-Semitic things she said in the past. Um, she is a complete piece of garbage. And, uh, you know, any time that Warnock has has uh, criticized Israel, which he does frequently, even from the pulpit, uh, Sarsour is there to put her stamp of approval on it. Um, so she's she is um, she is campaigning for him now too. Uh, you know, Joe Biden distanced himself from Linda Sarsour, much to his credit. Well, as much credit as you can give him, who you know he's now also campaigning with her again for Ossoff and Warnock now. So that's a right. little strange, but, it is. but you know, this, this person was too radical for Joe Biden, but just fine for Warnock and, and Ossoff. Mm. Once again, here you see Warnock partnering up with an anti-Semite, but not just any anti-Semite, an anti-Semite that's perfectly cozy with the idea of violence to pro propel um, political agendas. Right. Yeah, and I think this is the thing that's striking to me, Chris, is the fact that this, you have such different, so America just in itself really falls hard into that, like, what is it, 52% Democrat, 48% Republican, and Georgia seems to mirror that pretty dang close, you know, plus sure. and minus a couple of percent. The thing that is, like, really frightening to me about all this is, Georgia is such a close state and there is 
not only is that stressful just to be a person in the state and know that this is going on around you, um, but it's also the fact that the all those people in that in in our state see everything from such a different perspective, yet possibly live right next to each other mm-hmm. for the most part. And I mean, it, it goes to show you a couple of things. It goes to show you that people really just a don't really put any care and effort into like learning about other people and their positions and where they're coming from and much rather would turn on the internet and listen to people that are saying things on their side and not try to be critical with that. Um, you know, just get shoved into whatever echo chamber is, is convenient for them. And I don't know, it really freaks me out that, you know, you're probably working. If you're in the state of Georgia, you're probably working with several people, you know, and you could probably draw a line down the room, down two thirds of the room, depending on the industry. Right. And Mm -hmm. basically have people just in such different camps that it would almost, it would, it would drive you mad if you were a, a third person just trying to make sense of what was actually going on based on what people were saying. Like the fact that people just see the country in such two distant ways and see the solutions in such two distant ways. I just, you know, it's very, 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 it's nothing different than what's happening in the country itself, but it is localized at this government, you know, in this, in this state specifically. It's a little, it's a little microcosm of America. Right. And, uh, what should we take away from that? I've got a few. One, if you're part of a black church, um, that is more concerned with the political progress of black Americans or the condemnation of the state of Israel uh, than the salvation of Jesus Christ, quit calling it church. Yeah. And maybe find an actual church. Because my Jesus loves everybody, black, brown, purple, white, green, yellow, red. And in addition to that, his path is the same for all of us. Um, it, it is a narrow path, and it applies carte blanche. Um, so I would, I would urge anybody who believes that this kind of political tripe is religion to seriously reconsider their their own beliefs and their own structure because that the idea of there being black theology as opposed to theology and black prophecy as opposed to prophecy is one of the most damnable offenses i can think of something about millstones and cast being cast into the sea another thing that we can take away from that or from from all this is that even if you disagree with conservatives let's say you're our stereotypical liberal and you don't like, you know, the policies that Loeffler and Purdue might be pursuing. Are you really willing to vote for a theocrat who will hijack religion to force his policy prescriptions on to his constituency in, in the name of a deity that you don't believe in? in contravention to what that deity actually says. I mean, the Jesus that Raphael Warnock likes will say whatever Raphael Warnock wants. And that's not the real Jesus. 
Right. And 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 how comfortable are you with his dissolution of church and state from the church side? And do you think you'll be insulated from that on the state side? Right. I think it's a disgusting thing what he's doing. And the idea that we might allow that into the United States Senate would be a tragedy as far as I'm concerned. Completely agree. And, and then with Ossoff, um, do you think that he speaks for you? Do you think that he understands anybody's struggle? Do you think he understands struggle at all? Um, maybe you should quit being bought so cheaply from the type of people that you pretend not to like who will say that they'll throw you a doggy bag. Right. Because uh, exactly he's a grifter right. extraordinaire. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all that, but I think there's, I, I, you know, I, I think you just look at the policies and the things that are go, are coming out. And I think you look at, um, I think if, even if you're just like, you know what, don't think we have the right answers in either of our parties right now. And nothing getting done seems good to me. Seems like you should vote Republican, you know? Right. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad pitch because I think there's a lot of, you know, I, I don't think, I think, the, I think the Democrats know what they want, are very organized around that, and are trying to make it happen. And I feel like half the time the Republicans are, they don't have a clue, man. I mean, they had the Senate, and they had the House, and they had the presidency for two years. And guess what they did with it? That's right, not much. Not um, much. Not much. They Cut were pointed, taxes, uh, which was cool, but other than right. that, not much. Right, exactly. I mean, like you could have you could have done a lot of things in regards to healthcare. And what we really found out is the Republicans had no plan on healthcare, which is sure. not great. Um, but but my point is, you know, if look, you know what you're gonna get if it's all if it's if everything has a D next to its name and who's running mm-hmm. the party, right? So yeah. anyway, vote. And the, the, uh, the theocrats aren't in this election. The theocrats, quote unquote, are on the side of the Democrats. So shove right, it down your atheist pipe and see how it smokes. So you know, weird. If you just don't like politics right now, vote for the Republicans. And the the yes. answer, Hunter, you put it best. It's just federalism. Just stymie right. the whole dang thing. Right. Um, for there, for two years of nothing is not bad. Right. In fact, that's what federalism is designed to do. That's why we mm-hmm. have a republic and not a democracy. So anyway. Right. Um, Hunter, do you want to be a weak soy boy like John Ossoff? Yes. It's my dream. Well, Hunter's a special case. But for everybody else, <laughs> fnxfit.com. What, Thanks. What can you say about fnxfit.com that hasn't been said about uh, Hercules and the entire pantheon of Greek gods as far as their physiques and chiseled musculature was concerned, Hunter? Uh, they were very waxed. Um, they, I can't <laughs> we're not say going the other back one. to how much you know about this. Thank you, because I know too you, much. If you want to look like a marble god, you're going to need protein. And if you get protein, you might as well get it from fnxfit.com. Carlpooling.com slash fnx will get you right there. You can use our checkout code carlpooling, C-A-R-L-P-O-O-L-I-N-G, for 15, 1, 5% off at checkout. I've been using some of their sleeping pills. Hunter's been using their erectile dysfunction cream, and I right. think that's been working great for him. So uh, get yourself some of that. It's been four days. Post-taste. <laughs> Call every Cut that doctor. out. Call every doctor. Hello, Call dermatologist. Hello. Um, Call Jill Biden and the, um, the Guinness Book of World Records. Hunter, 
Can you believe Whoopi Goldberg was saying that Joe Biden should be Surgeon General? Oh, it's adorable. The Makes view. me really happy. I'm not for canceling anybody. That's not my thing. Cancel the view. Cancel um, the view. Please and thank you. <laughs> anyhow, um, I think that's been the show. Yeah. Go out Appreciate if you in Georgia, vote, um, and don't be a don't be a nimby about it. Uh, come Follow us shoot on the social medias. Silencers with me and uh, and Loffler. That'll be a lot yeah. of fun. It'll be great. So cool, man. Social media, yeah. Carl at Carl Pooling on Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow. Read some of the stuff that we retweet. It'll make you a better person. Hunter, you can find him at Emotional Carl. I'm at Chris X Carl. And uh, the show is at carlpooling.com. You can find all of our links there. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. We're on Facebook, carlpoolingpodcast.com. Send us an email with all of your interesting um, uh, ideas. We'll read it on the show. It's carlpooling at gmail.com. we got a big year coming up in uh, 2021. We've got the year of uh, cotton candy. A recurring guest coming in January to do a little follow-up episode, maybe a little lighthearted debate. That might be a lot of fun. Then in February, we're looking at uh, having a theological discussion with one uh, a new a new face on the show. Hunter, this just in: we might be talking very soon to actually a foreign PhD student who is currently writing a paper about uh, Muslim conversion to Christianity in Europe. Are we getting a little bit? No, 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 no. Spoke okay. with her. Thank God. Uh, uh, it comes on good authority. Uh, spoke okay. with her a little bit over the weekend and a very, very interesting individual. So cool. Uh, if we don't talk to you before then, have a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Carl Pulling 2020. Merry Christmas. Been, uh, difficult, but good year as far as we're concerned. And we're going to keep having more and more. Lots of big stuff coming up in 2021. So, uh, yeah. Hunter? Hey, everybody. Get out of the back seat. We're home. And you have to get out. No! God, no! Unless there's a drive. It's Christmas! Give this to me! (laughs) Because then maybe you could stay in your car while you, uh... Get tested. Ah!